Hi, and welcome to another episode of Save Your Sorry, where we tell you the rise and fall of your favorite or more than likely least favorite celebrities. I'm your host, Jose. Joining me and telling the story this time is Katrina. Do you want to say hello? Oh, hey. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. sounded so morose. I don't know what that means. Mm, step your dictionary game up. I know. Um, before we do get started, though, I do want to announce that we were on the podcast Hits Don't Lie. It was great. It was great. We talked about diss tracks. So even before you listen to this episode, go and listen to that episode because it was so great. I had two people I know personally in my life, because I was telling everyone I know, go listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But two people told me like pretty much the same thing. Like they love the energy. They love the vibe. And I think it was really good energy and vibes on that podcast, which, you know, when you're going with another podcast, sometimes that's nervous. Like, how's it going to be? Yeah. And I'm a very awkward ass person, so I don't like interacting with new people but Aaron and Jacob are hilarious and very welcoming and very sweet yeah and if you guys are longtime listeners you would know them from our Lou Pearlman episode they were on ours and then they did us the favor of having us on theirs are you sure about that (laughs) (laughs) I I know I was confused but it it was a wonderful experience and I love the songs we chose I it, it was great Yes, I regret nothing, including not fighting for the queen. <laughs> yeah, there was. I, I, I don't want to spoil the episode for you, but there was betrayal. Like the like Katrina loves to say, the call was coming from inside the house. <laughs> not my house. <laughs> <laughs> so who, who are we talking about today? So, yes. Uh, also, just a warning. This is kind of a... Toughy, I guess. Roughy, toughy. You always see the rough and toughest. It's because I've lived a hard life. (laughs) (laughs) Who's better to tackle these subjects? Yeah, we're talking about child abuse, particularly sexual abuse. Not until kind of more later in the episode, but overall we we do talk about it. So that's not what you want to hear. If it's triggering to you, if that's just not the vibes, I understand. Pick another episode revisit another time okay but today we are going to be talking about woody allen oh i don't even know that much about it i know it's a toughie oh really i was gonna i was gonna eventually ask but you know you you're familiar with are you familiar with any of his work or just like the the scandalous side of him i i feel like he's one of those people who was always mentioned that he's a genius or he's great. And mm-hmm. I've never really seen any of his movies. I feel like we've discussed it before where you like Ants. Is that one of his in? Yes, that's that was the Woody Allen movie I was familiar with was the animated movie Ants. Yeah, but I always hear like, what is it? Annie Hall, Anne Hall, something like that. Annie Hall with Diane Keaton, yeah. Yeah, I, I've never seen those. And I, I've never really had a desire to watch them. And just when I hear the little rumors or whatever they are it just i've never had interest okay understandable understandable we're gonna be talking about woody allen i consider him to be just you know a nasty ass creep personally before listening to this episode you might have your personal stance on him or you be you're on the other side where you do not know much about him at all so i am here to either inform you about this man or to confirm what you already knew about this nasty ass man. Okay. Okay. Now in a regular episode, I give a little bit 
of a background on our subject, you know, how they became famous or known in their craft. But I'm going to tell y'all right now, this man is old, 86 years old. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize he was that old. Old. He puts the historic in prehistoric. <laughs> He's very old. So I was looking at the timeline events throughout my research and I was just like, well, how am I? Explain? People might, let's just chunk it up. And all y'all want to do is hear about the scandal anyway, but I'm not going to jump into it. You, you got to wait a little bit for that. So when talking about Woody Allen in this episode, most of it will be focused about his romantic partners that he had in his personal and professional life and the accusations and allegations that he has faced in his professional and personal life and where his legacy stands basically and how we feel about it so woody allen was born alan stewart Konigsberg. i'm not 100 sure on that pronunciation as always but to my best of my ability his legal name is actually haywood allen but he started to shorten it and go by woody allen when he was a teenager submitting um, his work to newspapers. So first of all, I always thought if you were eventually going to go by Woody Allen, what was the whole Haywood situation? But hey. I mean, that's his, his name. <laughs> what do you mean? His actual, his his given name is Alan Stewart. Oh. He changed okay. his name <laughs> to Haywood Allen and shortened it to Woody. Sorry, I was looking up the definition of morose. <laughs> <laughs> Not you trying to go back. (laughs) It's okay. You're not morose anymore. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, he shortened it to Woody and started going by Woody. So that's what I will refer to him as in the story, Woody or Alan, one of the one or the other. So Woody was born December 1st, 1935 to parents Martin and Nettie. Conningsburg in He's Brooklyn, a Sagittarius in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, he is a Sagittarius. Huh. Um, I don't know what that means, but I bet Woody could tell us because he was alive when they invented the astrological sign. Woody is Jewish and was raised as such from birth. He does have a younger sister named Alan, who bitch, why did I say it like His that? His sister's named Alan too? No, that is totally wrong. I just had Alan on the brain. He has a younger sister named Ellen, who goes oh. by her middle name, Letty. Oh, I love the name Letty. <laughs> Ellen Allen. <laughs> you just like it because the Fast and the Furious. I actually don't like those movies. I, I don't either. I was thinking more of like, um, what's that What's that show? <sighs> That's the better me now. That show. Ah, that lady Love, show. Lovecraft Country. Ah, I still haven't watched it yet. Continue with Alan and Alan. It was high school that Woody actually adopted and started using the name Woody Allen. And that was to submit his jokes and Woody quips to different newspaper columnists and even later Broadway writers. He was funny and entertaining enough that he ended up getting paid for the work that he submitted. When it came to his education, he did graduate high school and attend New York University and City College of New York for motion picture or film. Just a side note, what cracked me up looking at this, uh, looking at his education was he went to a place called City College of New York. And I was just thinking, don't that sound like one of them fake colleges you make up when you're just trying to get somebody off your back? <laughs> like, it where really do you go? does. 
I go to City College of uh, New York. (laughs) (laughs) In the end, despite attending those colleges, he decides he wants to just jump into his career in comedy, specifically being a uh, a comedy writer, and drops out. Woody had already been getting paid for his jokes and his work that he was submitting, and it ends up uh, leading him to be introduced to a famous TV comedian at that time called uh, named Sid Caesar. And Woody ended up writing for him in his TV shows. In the 60s is when Woody becomes more known for his stand-up comedy and his stand-up routine and the character he creates and submits for decades to come. This persona that he ends up creating is like this sensible, studious-looking man who is like kind of soft-spoken or like has issues with women, uh, maybe a little downtrodden, but always super smart. He kind of plays the same kind of person in all his movies. He's neurotic. Yes. He's here neurotic, yeah. Yeah, they do use that word a lot. You're right. So this this character that he ends up playing in a lot of his movies was first like created in his stand-up comedy. His comedy routines were successful enough to earn him the praise and notoriety from other superstars at that time and to even earn a Grammy nominee in 1964 for his comedy album. He didn't win, but he got nominated. Then Woody starts his movie career, starting as a screenwriter, going into being an actor, and then soon to be director. It is in 1965 that Woody Allen is in his first movie, What's New Pussycat? which Woody did write and star in. And before you ask, yes, this is the movie where that song comes from that's sung by Tom Jones. I was definitely about to ask which one came first. Yeah, they they came at the same time. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't believe it. Yeah, the funny thing is, is for years, I got that from other TV shows, like parodying it, never truly knowing where it comes from and look at it fucking Woody Allen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, just what you're telling me, he's been working since he was a teenager in yeah. some way, some form. So I'm sure he does have a lot of influence in the I film, love- the writing, and everything. Yeah, he definitely left his mark and you don't even know it was him because I got that shit from The Simpsons. I think I got it from Family Guy. Let's see. So um, now I, w- I won't say I got it from Family Guy because I feel like that's a song that is everywhere. It's a funny song. Yeah, because I was like, what the fuck is this even about? And I looked it up just for a quick second because my, my curiosity had to get the best of me. And it's like this movie about like, um, uh, what would you call it? Like a ladies man. He's engaged to somebody or he's trying to be engaged to somebody or be faithful to him, but he's just irresistible to all women, no matter who he comes in contact with, they are in love with him. And so he tries to get therapy, but the therapist isn't really helping him because the therapist is obsessed with a different woman who's obsessed with his patient. And it's just this weird ass round robin thing. And the whole thing is he calls girl, he says like, what's up pussycat to girls so that he doesn't have to remember their individual names. Uh, I kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've piqued your curiosity. Uh-huh. I, it, it sounds funny. 
if you do just let me know i I looked at the trailer it is the trailer looks like a snl skit yeah maybe it is comedic you know whatever 1965 is when he does what's new pussycat it's his first film from then on alan wrote starred and directed a lot of different movies and broadway plays that people regard as classics you have what's up tiger lily that's a film that was from 1966 we have the play Don't Drink the Water. Do you know in What's Up Tighter, Lily? Is it like the same thing of What's Up Pussycat? Um, is it, I don't is know. it like a sequel? Because they're famous somewhere. I, I didn't look up each individual synopsis. Oh. If you want me to, I can I can give you one real quick. I mean. I, I just want to know about Tiger Lily. Tiger Lily is a 1966 American comedy film. He took a Japanese spy film and overdubbed it with original dialogue that had nothing to do with the original Japanese film. Oh my goodness. What was that movie that had all the rappers? Bro! I know exactly what you're about to talk You're talking about the anime? No, it was a real movie. Oh, it had a whole bunch of rappers in it? Like, rapper voices over like, dubbed as the voice? I don't know. <laughs> that just blasts from the past. Wait, was it, what type of movie was it though? I think it was like a kung fu movie. And you're saying it wasn't an anim- a- anime? No. Because I remember like a, a TV anime movie that had a ton of rappers voicing characters. Rappers voice kung fu movie. If anybody knows what we're talking Volcano about. Volcano High. That's not exactly what that could. That can't be it. Now I got to look it up. Look at you derailing this. You, you know I got to work. <laughs> Volcano Sky. Volcano High. First of all, this is a crazy ass poster. You see Snoop Dogg. Is this what it was? It was Andre Three. Th- I could have swore it was an anime. I could have well, swore it was wrong. It was at least animated. All right. Well, I got to put that on my list because I got to check that out when we leave here. <laughs> Volcano Sky High. <laughs> that, that's just what that Woody Allen movie. Back to Woody Allen. Okay, back to Woody Allen. Okay, so we did. What's up, Tiger Lily? That's a that's a movie from 1966. Don't Drink the Water. That's a Broadway play from 1966. Annie Hall, movie from 1977. Classic. Man, did you see Annie Hall, Jose? No, it, I just know it's a classic. <laughs> you said it like it was a testimonial, though. I, I just know. Fucking classic, hands down. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Okay, Manhattan, 1979, Z-League, 1983, and some of his more contemporary recent works would be Match Point, 2005, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, 2008, and Midnight in Paris, 2011. So, Woody is an accomplished writer and director and has many accolades. Who cares? Why does he matter? Woody has been praised about writing women roles that are very dimensional, like more than just these plain cardboard characters you you usually see in movies. He's been praised of writing them very strong and complex, while he usually plays the same sort of character that is like the small neurotic guy with the glasses and the issues that are either committing to women or he can't relate to women in some sort of way or fashion. Or he's trying to woo a woman that maybe seems like out of his league. You know, this, the same trope. But it worked for him because he was one of the first people doing it. Yeah. I personally view Woody Allen as an evil genius. You're this smart writer and comedian. You've created this persona that you embody 
so much that people can't really tell where you begin and when the persona ends. Because if I were to ask you just based off what you see from Woody Allen and the description I gave you of how he acts in his movies, would you really think he's that different from real life based off what you've seen? No, I've always known him to be neurotic and Jewish. That's what you know about him. That's the traits he usually gives himself. And that that's usually how he, not Jewish though. Let, let me not fucking continue with that. Uh, no, he just be looking so Jewish. <laughs> he's the one, like, that's what he's known for is being Jewish. Yeah, I get what you're saying though. But Am yeah. I wrong? No, no, you're, you're not wrong. But yeah, that's basically what he's known for. And, and you don't really see who Woody is as a person because you always view him as his character. So that's why I feel like he's such an evil genius. You embody this character you created so much that people see you as such and begin to like underestimate you based off of that or um, downplay your intentions because of it. And because it suits you and you wear that hat very well you go on with that you it's kind of like the whole bill cosby thing like bill cosby was this great family man on the shows so people believe he's a great family man but this man was straight ass demonic <laughs> okay i get you okay i see you yeah woody allen has been married three times now allen's first wife her name was harlan rosen they were married from 1955 to around 1962, 1963, depending on the year they officially got divorced, 1963. Woody proposed when he was 19 and she was 16. They supposedly separated after three years of marriage, but didn't officially divorce until 1963. And that ended up with Woody paying her $75 a week in alimony. Did you say he was 19, she was 16? Yes, when he proposed to her. Okay. Then when they married, I think it was 16 and 20. No, when they married, it was 17 and 20, up a year. Still pretty young. I guess back in the day, though, you did get married younger. Yeah. Harleen ended up suing Woody because he was making fun of her in his comedy act. He basically had this routine that was a part of his stand-up act called, like, the dreaded Mrs. Allen or something. And I guess uh-huh. it, it poked fun at her character. So she sued him for defamation. As far as I saw, nothing really came of that. Despite yeah. him being sued, he didn't, I don't think they settled or he paid or anything. I think that's kind of stupid too, to sue for him telling jokes. I mean, um, he's say, probably saying his ex-wife or something, which. Exactly. It's not really giving a name, but obviously it was enough personal details that she knew that he was talking about her and she was just probably hurt and pissed off about it. She wanted but, money, I feel like. Yes, yeah, she she knew, but she found out eventually there's nothing that you could do on joke telling. Yeah, because I don't think you can even now. Like, it's a joke. Now, it would have to be actual, like, hardcore defamation, like, hardcore slander. Yeah. Like, I'm, not a joke type of stuff. And they would have to say a, your name. Him saying... That's wife is an ad. She took me for all my money. Ha ha. It's not, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Or saying money. Mrs. Allen when y'all are divorced now. It's like kind of loses its luster. Yeah. And she's no longer Mrs. Allen. Mm-hmm. So then we go into his second marriage. His second marriage was to an actress named Louise Lasser. 
That lasted from 1966 to 1970. The interesting fact about this relationship is that it initially started as an affair during Woody's first marriage and divorce. So Woody is seeing Luis while he's in the middle of getting divorced from Harleen. And then, uh-huh. eventually, and then eventually after he is done uh, divorcing Harleen, a few years later, he ends up marrying Luis for sure. But uh-huh. it does not last long. Was it really an affair or were they just legally so married? It could be either or. Back in the day, what's the difference? I mean, Harleen wasn't giving out no interview saying that she was cheated on. because I guess cared. so, yeah. So this uh, also leads us to Alan's third present and most controversial marriage, of course. It is the marriage to Sunyi Preven from 1997 to now. No. Now, yeah, that is that old and from now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I did not know he wasn't married to the other one. No, that was just a relationship. But yeah, okay. we'll get into that. So now Woody is known to date some of his leading ladies that star in his projects and then collaborating on more projects in the future. Or he's also known for just casting beautiful women and his projects and later dating them, collaborating on future projects. For example, you have Diane Keaton. When she auditioned for his play and they met in 1969 for his play Played Against Sam, they went on to date for like a year and then they separated. The, the crazy fact that I learned about this one, I was like, Hell no, let me reread that again. And it's after Diane and uh, Woody broke up. Woody dated two of her sisters. Oh, that's some low, slimy shit right there. They all say that they're all friends and they're cool and they'll still talk. But I just thought that's a weird ass thing to do. It's kind of slimy. I don't know what type of relationship y'all had, but ain't ain't nobody I've dated for a second going to be able to just freely date my siblings it's bad enough being a homie hopper but going to the sibling that's a no not even one because not even just the first one you had a second one too and he describes in the in the book is that they were so beautiful i had a a a a great romance with this one and then the other one was just a fling but they're so beautiful and great and we're still friends and even the mother's good looking it's just like damn i'm surprised he didn't get her Sit your ass down. Too old for him. Oh, I have his book. Yeah, I, after reading the controversy with his book, I mean, eventually, it, of course, it came out, but people canceling. And I was like, I mean, it probably would have served me well to read it. It's called, what, Apropos of Nothing, correct? Uh-huh. I was just like, I don't really need to know his whole side because the facts are there and people can form their opinions once they have the main meat of the facts yeah and you can get what you need from articles that just write what you need and i ain't about to sell his book or support his book i got mine from goodwill too that's that's that that was that was the move (laughs) goodwill so in 1980 woody allen begins a relationship with actress mia farrow um a couple of not really important details, but interesting facts is, number one, Mia's first marriage was actually to Frank Sinatra for a few years, which I never knew. I did know. Of course you would know. You know Frank Sinatra facts. 
I don't. I just know that one for some reason. Oh, really? I thought you would know tons about your your boy FS. <laughs> um, another one is that, of course, Mia Farrow's breakout role was in the movie uh, Rosemary's Baby, and whose film is that? But Roman Polanski. Wait, is that how you say his name? What? Roman Polanski. Is it really? Yes. Damn. I know. She was around him her whole life. And if you don't know, uh, just look up Roman Polanski. Uh, it's going to be a minute till we get to him in the episode anyway. But just maybe know. Maybe not that long. Maybe not that long. He's a nasty ass son of a bitch who's in the, the, the entertainment industry. And it's so nasty that he had to leave the U.S. so he wouldn't be charged for any crimes. Mm-hmm. No relation to Roman Zelensky. <laughs> Not you bringing Nikki into this. <laughs> Not bringing Nikki. That's, <laughs> that's one of her lines. I know, but that's what's so funny about it. <laughs> she already got a predator in her family. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Who said that? Okay. Anyway. Uh, so some important background on Mia Farrow and Mia and Woody's relationship is that this is 1981 Woody Allen and her begin this relationship. But a year prior, she has just gotten divorced from her latest husband, Andrew Previn, who was a composer, a German composer. And they share six kids, three biological children who are all sons. They're, they have twins, Matthew and Sasha. And then they have a younger son, Fletcher. They also have three adopted daughters, two that were adopted from Vietnam and they were infants at the time named Lark and Daisy, originally Summer, but now they go by Daisy. And they had another daughter from Korea named Soon Yi, who is determined to be around five or six years old when she is adopted with an official birth year of 1970. Okay. So, like I said, 1979, she is officially divorced from Andrew Praven. And in 1980, she begins a relationship with Woody Allen. Now, right before she begins that relationship with Woody Allen, she decides she uh, she wants to adopt another child. And she does. She adopts a child named Moses from Korea. And he is two at the time of his adoption. And Woody is 45 years old. He has been married twice and he has no children at this time and right now doesn't have any interest in becoming a parent. But he still continues on with his relationship with Mia. And this last child, Moses, that was by herself that she adopted him? Yes, that is just like essentially her child at this time. She's like the Angelina Jolie before Angelina Jolie. Yeah, Pumpkin breaks on them Angelina Jolie comparisons. I'm just saying we're all their adoptions. I know. I get you, though. But, you know, Angie didn't do all this. No. (laughs) Mia starred in 13 of Woody Allen's films. Around 1983 to 1984, according to Mia in the HBO documentary, Allen v. Farrow, which I did watch, and I'm not going to lie, if you are more interested in learning more about the subject matter and, like, them really digging to 
Dylan's testimony, Mia Farrow's testimony, as well as more of the facts in the climate, you should definitely watch it. It is a good watch. It's a hard one, but it's it's definitely entertaining and informing. It'll it upset you, but it's a good it's a good watch. It is so heavy. I did not finish the first episode. I know. And I told you that if because I watched it at work and I said if I wasn't watching it at work, I probably would not have been able to finish it because I would I still had something to focus on. But yeah, I was definitely tearing up. It's hard. Yeah. But yeah, according to Mia in this uh in the documentary, she it, she wants to have an more children she specifically wants to have a child with woody and she goes to woody and tries to persuade him and at first woody doesn't is not interested he's he cannot be moved but eventually he does agree and request that he's you can have this child with me but i do not want to be an active parent i don't want to have anything to do with raising this child it would it would literally only be my biological child because of the genes. After not being able to conceive a successful pregnancy, it is now 1985 and Mia is looking at other options. You know, she's talking to Woody about possibly adopting a child with him. And once again, Woody is just not receptive to it. He's not really feeling that, but he does kind of make an offhand comment uh, to Mia saying, quote, I might be more kindly disposed if it's a little blonde girl. Now, in the documentary, she goes on to say, quote, I thought if he cares about that, I should try to I should try to find a little girl like that and maybe he'll love her. Uh, that right there. I don't know. It's like, why is she trying to force these children upon him? It seems like why does she want and, to find this little blonde girl? So maybe he would love her. And, and the thing is, both Woody and both Woody and Mia say that Woody was very upfront and about not really wanting to be a father. Yeah. So I, I do think it is very interesting that she does throughout the relationship, try to make him be a father, but also it's you're in a relationship starting with a woman who already has six kids and she just adopted a seven. Yeah. I, so I don't know. Too. Both, both of them, both of their decision makings and their processings are very questionable to me. Yeah. Because I know in that documentary, he is around the kids. He is. Like, he might not be a, like, even if you're not quote unquote their father, you're around them because you're around Mia. It's, you're a male figure in their lives consistently. There's, yeah. There's only so much of, okay, we're meeting the hotel. I got a nanny. I got a sitter. You know, eventually you're going to start spending the days together. Mm -hmm. And they state that they didn't live together, but they had their own separate houses that the other came to. Yeah. So, yeah. 1985, Mia adopts a girl named Dylan. She is biologically a Caucasian blonde girl. She is only a few weeks old, just been born, fresh out the oven. And then, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I don't, I don't mean What oven? I don't know. <laughs> in 1987, Mia gives birth to her and Woody's only biological child, Satchel Ronan Farrell, who now professionally only goes by his middle name, Ronan. And in 1991, Woody Allen legally adopts Dylan and Moses Farrell to be his children. But not the other ones? Were they older? No. And yes. So let's start weaving this together. 
first thing first, we're not going to talk about Moses that much, but um how many kids is I, I'm so confused though, but how many kids are we at now? As of right now, she still has seven kids. Okay. Wait, no, that's a lie. She has nine kids. She had seven. Moses was seven. Dylan was eight. Ronan is nine. So right now we're just at nine. There will be more, but we're at nine. Okay. So uh, where was I at? Okay. So yeah, we're not going to talk about Moses that much. He's going to be in the story maybe a couple times, but mainly the way Moses explained in the documentary at first is that Moses was very shy and he didn't talk to a lot of people, but eventually the more Woody started coming around the house he and Moses ended up starting to spend time together and connecting in ways of like what they like to read in books and such and such. And they just connected in a real father-son way, whereas Moses didn't connect with a lot of people like that, period. And so that was one of the motivating factors of why uh, Woody definitely, in the end, in like 1991, wanted to adopt Moses because he felt closest to Moses. And Which makes sense. He's there. Yes. And then eventually uh, he he wanted to adopt Dylan because he felt he was her father and he had been there since she was literally born. So the the story, once you start weaving it together, was despite Woody and Mia being in like this almost 12 year relationship, they never lived together, not even once. They had separate homes. And Mia talks about how even though they did not live together, Woody would come over consistently to spend time with her. And then later, as you know, she started having the children. She adopted Dylan and had um, Satchel slash Ronan. He was coming around more to be with the children. Now, Woody, in his autobiography, Apropos of Nothing, he says that he was not involved with Mia's children at all. And rarely spent time with them. I guess that's his way of starting to get out of some of the heavy allegations that came his way later in years. But, but he adopted he, them? He's talking about the rest of her children. Okay. He's only claiming the ones he adopted and the one he helped grow, conceive. Now, as Dylan grew up, she's with Woody, but Mia is the main caretaker. Mia is starting to see some maybe suspicious or inappropriate behavior between Woody, but she does not intervene. She takes note, but she doesn't really do anything. In the HBO documentary, when Dylan is talking, uh, we have some quotes about some of the details and some of the things that she remembers specifically from her childhood that did involve Woody. She says she used to hide from Alan when he came over to the apartment. And she recalls sitting with him on uh, some stone steps outside of the country house. And he directed her on how she should suck his thumb. Quote, telling me what to do with my tongue. Oh, Another quote. I have memories of getting into bed with him. He was in his underwear, and I'm in my underwear, cuddling. How old was she at that time? She's like any age. This doesn't come to a head until she's seven. Okay. 
So now go, it cuts to Mia and some of what she uh, began to notice when she's talking in the documentary. She says that she recalls Dylan um, basically running away from Woody Allen. Like she started locking herself in the bathroom. Um, Mia says that whenever Woody used to come to the apartment, she would be fully calm. She would be fine. And then as soon as Woody would walk in, she would get hysterical, quote, she would become an animal, sometimes a dead animal, sometimes a wounded animal lying on the floor, anything that didn't talk. Yeah, but something was up and it was because of Woody. It seems like some pointed, targeted misbehavior that definitely has to do with whoever is in the environment. Yeah. But still no intervention. Which, yeah, it's uh, she's either running away or she's pretty much playing dead, which is like freezing. Mm -hmm. Or trying to basically not like do anything that makes her non-sociable. Uh-huh. You can't talk to her. You don't play with her. She's she's playing dead. She's can't be reached. So in the middle of all the suspicious behavior for I'm, I'm guessing just based off the timeline, it would have to be a couple of years. Have to be. May I'm thinking I can't remember for sure if they said it was just a year, but I feel like it had to go on for a couple of years. Uh, but Woody and Mia's relationship is rocky. Uh, they're not the couple that they used to be. But now we're going on to a whole nother page of what the fuck is going on, because in the year of 1991, December of 1991, that is when Woody Allen legally adopts Mia's children to be both his and Mia's. He adopts Moses and Dylan. It is the next month in January 1992 that Mia ends up going to Woody's apartment. I think she forgot something or somebody forgot something she was looking for something and instead of finding anything that she was trying to find she finds naked pictures of her adopted daughter soon yi <gasps> who was how old now yes at this time soon yi is in college she's around 20 to 20 years of 21 years of age but let's do some back checking soon yi has a projected birth date of 1970 and woody and mia began a relationship in 1980 i don't care how uninvolved he was that's just not right 10 years old oh my goodness yeah so he had to have known her for a while he knew of her now, I'm going to tell you now, it, it is later in my script, but forget that. We'll just talk about it right now. Both Soon Yi and Woody Allen come out and do all this, this trying to set up the narrative of, yes, she's Mia's adopted daughter, but that's not her father. Woody is not her father. She didn't interact with Woody. Woody didn't mess with her or play with her. He came for his kids and that was it. And he didn't interact and they didn't talk until she was her, her siblings. Yes. Mainly Moses, Dylan and Ronan. It's yeah, but they're still her siblings, but. And they're all in the same house. Yeah. So she's there. It's <laughs> One of the craziest Sunni quotes was that she said, 
One of, okay, so first of all, let me tell y'all right now, Soon Yi don't fuck with Mia Farrow. That's her adopted mom, but that's her adopted monster, if you ask her. She, oh, wow. She talked about, she's accused Mia Farrow of abuse herself uh, and says that Mia Farrow was not a good mother and she punished us for a lot of things that were not our, their fault. And she treated some of the adopted children as domestics. Now, I don't know, because this is Sunni saying this, and this is Moses who's later going to say some of this. So you got to take it with a grain of salt of, is it true? Is it all true? Is parts of it true? I mean, I two know. things can be true. She could be a it, shitty mom and he could exactly. be guilty of what we're talking about. Yes. And what kills me is that Sunni does not like Mia Farrell at all. One of the things she says in this like Newsweek article in 1992 when she like gives this interview is that she did not like Mia and she did not like Woody but one of the reasons why she didn't like Woody is because she said he was with my mother and my mother is such a mean nasty person how could you be with someone like that unless you were like that too that's why she didn't like Woody when did it turn sexual romantic I don't know yeah, dang, I'm off how, script. How I'm kind of doing some of this by like heart because all I remember, but the, I'll, I'll tell you right now. Basically, in 11th grade, which is what, junior year? Yeah, so we're like 16, 17, 16, 17. She broke her ankle during a soccer game and limped back to her school. Now, Sun Yi does this thing of saying one of the reasons she thinks Mia wasn't a real mother to her is that by the time she was adopted by Mia, she was too old to be molded in Mia's like ways and the ways that she wanted a child and that she was too self-sufficient. But then Sunyi also does this thing where she says, Mia didn't teach me this and Mia didn't do this for me or didn't do that. But it sounds like also that you didn't want her to do anything. She recalls that when Mia saw her for the first time and hugged her, she was like, who the hell is this woman? What is she doing to me? Why why is she hugging me? Like, how old was she when she was adopted? Like five or seven, five to seven years old. That's not too old. But it just sounds like Soon Yi and Mia Farrow just never got along. Which, yeah, and I could Soon see Soon Yi just first. did not like Mia. She's always resentful of her, or it has know. become resentful in the years past all this stuff that's happened. But um, anyway, in 11th grade, she broke her ankle, and then she eventually got home, and Alan was at the home. I guess he was visiting his children. She says that uh, Alan took a look at her ankle and suggested that they go to the doctor, and he drove her to the doctor. She says before that happened, they did not interact as much. And she even heard him. She like overheard him calling her like shy, so shy that one day she might need a shrink or something. She said that was another reason why she didn't like him. And so eventually after he takes her to the hospital, after that incident, it opens them up to eventually either being encouraged by, I guess, having a good rapport, taking her to the hospital or Mia because Sunyi says Mia influenced him. Woody Allen ends up taking Sunyi to Knicks games, just him and her. Oh, now, hell no! And Mia wanted this. Sunyi says Mia Farrow encouraged him to do this because she was too shy 
But you also say you overheard Woody saying that you were too shy. And you also, I mean, have, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see Mia Farrow forcing this relationship like she was forcing the other relationships because you, you said she never did it before. Y'all didn't even really talk. So I, I don't know. I can see Mia saying if she sees that her shy daughter's opening up to this man, yeah, take take her to a dame with you, but that's only if he's acting as a father figure. That too. In that, okay. See, Even that's when I couldn't watch the show because it's too messy. If Mia is saying that, you're you're right. Actually, that would be more in a father figure way. So I don't know. But if you talk about them, uh, if you ask them about how did it go from like friends to just talking to sexual, they 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 got they got d- dementia, they got amnesia. It's been 25 years. I don't know. I just think that he went after me because, you know, we had great conversation and we just had lots of things to talk about. Yeah, sure, Jan. Now, what? You're a 17-year-old girl with by yourself going to Knicks games with this 40, 50-year-old man. He's in his 50s now, yeah. It, it was just, it's, it, it didn't look good. It didn't look right. And the fact that you had to keep it a secret and she, Sunyi says, you know, she says weird things that makes me think that I'm not saying, I don't want to say groom, but you know, I'm thinking it. I'm going to say she was groomed. He, she says stuff like, you know, I could tell by the time they were spending a lot of time together, she says, I could tell that their relationship had soured and they weren't doing the things that couples usually did anymore. And that he was pretty much just staying around for the kids. And the messed up part is now this is just my thinking, but he's probably telling her this. That's what I'm saying. It just don't all seem right. And then you're 20 something years old finding you're hooking up with your 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 mother's old boyfriend taking new pictures. Um, your brother's like a, biological dad and that's your, true. Your adoptive siblings' stepdad or whatever adoptive father. And the timeline's so muddy that it does. It, it's, there's no other way to paint it as inappropriate if y'all didn't even start talking and hanging out until you were in the 11th grade but y'all really can't pinpoint when it started turning sexual yeah i feel like it turned sexual way before you got into college i feel if they're admitting to 11th grade it's when they first started talking i and they don't want to tell when it turned sexual it was before that yeah oh yeah i got it right here so yeah if she's around 2021 he's around 56 57 you know um yeah, I said all that. Which is weird already, but it's just that he was her stepfather in a way. He was the besides her 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 adopted father Andre. He was the only other man around her consistently, and she knew who and what he represented. And most importantly, he knew who he was and represented in that house. And you let that relationship get carried away into something very disgusting. Woody Allen and Sunyi can do all the back talking and changing the narratives that they want. It still was inappropriate. You were essentially a father figure. It does. They keep saying they didn't live in the house together. They didn't do, but he was coming by every day, spending time with you guys. I he, think they get a pass because they're still married. Like I'm not saying that's I give what them people a pass. say. Yeah, but I'm I not mean, saying I give them a and pass. And I want to like, say this to the public: they're still married. 
But in uh, a vulture article that Sunyi and uh, Woody Allen did kind of sorted together, it was mostly Sunyi, but she was seated by, she was seated. She sat by Woody during part, so he chimed in too. He was making quips. She was making some crazy quips saying like, she said she wanted to have your babies after a couple of weeks knowing you and wanted to propose marriage. Didn't you think that was crazy? Didn't you think she was, you didn't, that didn't turn you off? Weird. Number one. Number two, she does a, another one where. So um, you said that about Mia? Yes. Okay. Says he, he's just like, basically. What's that word? It's a Morose. <laughs> Not when you're downgrading yourself, when you, um, I can't give, Can you give me a definition when you're talking about deprecating. She's deprecation. Yes. But it, I, I, I said, I found the word I needed, but it's still not the word I needed. Uh, but basically she's like throwing shots his way, but like making them playful shots, like basically calling them like dumb. How would he have known that Mia had claws like that? Like she was way over your head like she definitely put the wool over your eyes essentially basically saying like he was a lamb and mia was a wolf is how she paints it that was a weird kind of moment and then the third thing was that woody had basically said that if the molestation allegations never came out spoiler alert we'll get to it soon enough he said he probably would have stayed with mia just for the children's sake soon ye and woody got children so i do Yes, adopted, but they have children. Huh. Why would you say something so offhandedly? I would have just stayed with her. Just for, I'm thinking you staying with Sunyi. When you do something of that magnitude, when they got caught out, why wouldn't you stay? Woody, Woody Allen's been put through the ring. He was still he, with Mia, Who was right? he going to find? He was still with Mia in this part of the story where she finds the pictures. Yes, they're basically about to, they're done now. She found the pictures she confronts him. Yeah, so that statement of him saying he would have stayed with her for her children is bullshit because she found the pictures and they end it. Yeah, and also Sunyi and uh says something like she didn't expect this love to last this long. She thought that she would just, you know, she's in college, she would meet somebody and that would be old news. No, you didn't because you wouldn't have been involved with Woody before college. If you if it was just easy to just meet somebody and be over it, why didn't you? Oh my goodness. Because you were obsessed and and you were stuck to this older man. They she was a camp counselor one summer. They said she got in trouble because this Mr. Smith kept calling. She kept taking calls from <gasps> this Mr. Smith and it was it ended up being Woody Allen the whole time. How old was she then? I think this was the bridge from uh, high school to college. Oh, my goodness. So it's Damn. like, I I don't think you see it, but Sunyi is like 40, 50 herself. I don't think she'll ever see it if she don't now. No, and such hate for her adoptive mother, which I can get if she was a shitty mother. I can get a little of this hate, but I think some of it is um, not projection, but like you trying to get some of that spotlight off you. But I don't think Mia, Mia could have been a, a little bit of a better mother. Yeah. So let's get into it a little bit more. Okay. So right now, are we still up? She found the pictures? Yes. Okay. Found the pictures. She's about, uh, she confronts Woody and then it all comes out. So 
after that happens, literally they're in the midst of separating and what do you want to call it? Dissolving their relationship in August of 1992. Dylan, well, let me set up the story. Back to Suni, though. Does she show? <laughs> Sorry, I we can't just. I need answers on this one. Does Tell she me. after she finds the pictures? I I'm sure that Mia and Suni have a falling out. So yeah, she's at uh, college. That, Does she don't live happened. with Woody after? No, I mean yes. Eventually, she she ends up staying with Woody, but she's still in college. I think the confrontation ended up with. Uh, Mia like begging for her to like leave Woody alone and come back home and everything will be forgiven and uh, it didn't work out that way and I think Mia did say that she did end up slapping her though I would have too I mean I I mean was it wrong yes could I could I imagine me slapping my adopted daughter after I find naked pictures in my ex-boyfriend's apartment yes yeah it's not right, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was a joke. That was a joke. I know it wasn't because she, at that time, she is an adult and she's sleeping with her mother's boyfriend. Oh, it's okay to slap the adult children. I think it's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what you was about to say. <laughs> Come on, Lonnie, little <laughs> five years old. You're about to slap all these children. I heard you. So, to set the more somber scene of what's about to happen next, this is early August, 1992. Uh, Mia has a house in Connecticut. That's where she's primarily living with all her children. And she is out of the house to shop. There's like a tutor, I think two babysitters there. And I think Alan is planning to show up. I don't know if he's already there when she leaves. But she tells the babysitters under no circumstances, do not like do not leave Alan alone with. I don't know if she said just Dylan or any of the children, but basically she does not want like Alan alone with Dylan specifically in her house. Because she's already noticing things. Yes. And now they're not even together. She knows about the Soon Yi thing. I guess she might have been on high alert, but probably should have done a little sooner. So the next day after the shopping trips all there and gone, you know, Dylan confesses to her mother, Mia, that Woody at one point touched her private parts up in the attic. When trying to figure out all the details of such, she does call one of the babysitters and one of the babysitters does admit that she did lose track of Dylan for about 20 minutes. There was another account of Dylan being outside and playing and then them not noticing that she didn't have any underwear on under her dress. Um, there's a more disputed account. I can hold on back to that one. Did she like lose her underwear or it, it was never said? So they just like at one time she's playing, they're like, Oh, she doesn't have underwear on. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming she started the day off with underwear. Yes. Okay. Um, there was this other more disputed fact of possibly a babysitter walking in a room and uh, allegedly spotting Dylan sitting on like a seat or a couch and Woody kneeled down with his head in her lap. Oh, 
Okay. So and she she has clothes on. The 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 babysitter in this rumored one, this alleged one that we don't know for I don't know for sure. She she is clothed, but it's like a dress or a skirt. Didn't say, but she said uh, she couldn't quite see, but she could see that his head was on her lap. Okay. Now, Mia confronts Woody with this information. He does. He denies it. Says that that's ridiculous. And a week later, he files for full custody of Ronan, Moses, and Dylan. And as you know, in December 1991, he legally adopted them so he can do that. A few days later, after filing for full custody, Woody and Sunni go public. And at the same time that they decide to go public with their relationship, an investigation is opened into the sexual abuse allegations that Dylan had told Mia Farrell about. And Mia Farrell ended up uh, telling a pediatrician whose report opened up this whole investigation. We're still in the month of August where, you know, she's told Dylan has told Mia that she's been abused. Woody and Sunyi have gone public. The investigation is opened and the we're in mid uh, yeah, mid August, 1992, Woody Allen decides to have a whole press conference denying all the allegations um, I even have part of his quote. It says, quote, this is an unconscionable and gruesomely damaging manipulation of innocent children for vindictive and self-serving motives. He says that these allegations are sort of the currently popular, though heinous card played in all too many child custody fights. And while this is sometimes effective, the tragedy of programming one's child to cooperate is unspeakable. So basically saying that he didn't do it and Mia is coaching Dylan to say that Woody abused her. Okay. And he's saying that Mia is doing that because of him finding finding out about him. And Sunyi. And yeah, I was going to say something very more crude, but yes, him and Sunyi. After uh, a couple weeks from the press conference, we are towards the end of August in 1992. Sunyi gives a statement from Newsweek. I'm going to cherry pick because this was a quote unquote long ass fucking statement. <laughs> and she uses a word that we don't use anymore, but I'm just going to say it because it comes up as a quote. She says, please don't try to dr- uh, dramatize my relationship with Woody Allen. He was never any kind of father figure to me. I never had any dealings with him. He rarely came to our apartment before his own children were born. His first child, if we're considering, was Dylan. That's 1985. You were still 15. Mm-hmm, Sunyi, you ain't slick. Anyway, even then, he never spoke. And the truth is, I never cared for, I never cared that much for him. When I first got friendly with Woody, he and Mia were finished with their romance and were just friends. I think Mia would have been just as angry if he had taken up with another actress or his secretary. Mia was always very hot-tempered and given to rages, which terrified all the kids. They can't speak freely because they're still dependent on her, but they could really tell stories, and I'm sure one day will. It's true, Mia was violent with me, and I have conclusive proof, but I hope she and Woody can somehow head off a custody trial. And the business of him molesting Dylan is so ridiculous, I won't even dignify it with a comment. 
It says, I'm not surprised that Mia made a videotape of Dylan saying these terrible things. Let's pause on that. Both in the documentary, they go over the fact that Mia wanted proof because she thought people wouldn't believe her. And now it becomes one reason people say they don't believe her. But Mia Farrow recorded herself asking Dylan what happened because she wanted Dylan to say it on tape uh, that she was abused and where she was touched and who did it. And there is video proof of Dylan saying that daddy Woody touched her private areas. But on the other side, people are saying it's not true because it seems like Mia's coaching her. He's coaching her or she's trying to lead her into answers or they're saying that, you know, the video starts and stops. That could be pauses of her talking, you know, that type yeah. of thing. So yeah. Um, back to Sunyi's statement. I have a terrific relationship with Woody and realize it's full of dramatic overtones, but it's really quite simple. It revolves around conversations, film talk, sports talk, books, and art. I don't think Mia should go on adopting children. And I think all her adoptions should have been a warning signal to Woody when he met her. I don't think you can raise 11, quote, I'll end in parentheses, and soon she will have 13. Children with sufficient love and care. Uh, Take it from one who's lived through it. It can't be done. Some of us got neglected. Some got smothered. Anyhow, there's problems. I could say many devastating things about Mia. I will only do it if I must in court. She says, I have refrained from commenting, but when Mia brought up child molestation and then had her sisters and mother and kids and friends parade out in public and do her dirty work for Climaxing with that tape of Dylan being given out, I felt I had to speak at this point. I'm not a retarded little underage flower who was raped, molested, and spoiled by some evil stepfather. Not by a long shot. I'm a psychology major at a college who fell for a man who happens to be the ex-boyfriend of Mia. I admit it's offbeat, but let's not get hysterical. And then she ends it with whatever. That's, yeah. That's a lot to take in. So again, 11 children. I get what she's saying that, you know, you don't have time for all those children. So there could be some well-deserved hostility there. So I don't want to discredit her for that. But her saying that it's normal to date this ex-boyfriend of her mom, even if she says they weren't close. Yeah, what the fuck? You using weird words to describe this weird ass offbeat. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like you said, two things can be true, but you are harping or heaping so much blame onto Mia and making Woody look clean to the point where I can't believe that either. So then that's when your judgment gets called into question. When you can't be impartial and at least state how even if your relationship is offbeat, Y'all were wrong in the way that y'all got together and the way that you hid it and the fact that y'all had a, a existing relationship before you guys became friends to lovers. I don't understand how you can't admit that, but you can talk all about how Mia is has a temper. She abused you and how the other children will speak out, which Mia Farrell and her children is a touchy subject. She's had children who have died. Um, she has had a, a child who has committed suicide, but granted, they were mo- most of the children who have died. I think four or five, they were all adults. Okay. And besides Sun Yi and Moses, none of Mia's other children have spoken out about abuse. Only Mia and Moses. 
And in the documentary, Moses, when it was found out that Sun Yi was sleeping with Woody Allen, Moses wrote a letter to Woody Allen basically saying that this is unforgivable. I'll never forgive you. I can't believe you did this. I used to think of you as a father. That's what Moses originally thought when this all happened to changing his tune to not believing that Woody was a predator and to saying that Mia was an abuser along with Sun Yi. Okay, but he's not really contradicting himself there. He's now on Woody's side completely. He he does not exist. He does not. I can see him being. I can see him being. I can see him. Mr. President, I'm talking. I can see him (laughs) being mad at the fact that he Brody Allen with Sun Yi and I could also see him coming out and saying that Mia was abusive I don't feel like those two contradict each other at all well he does not acknowledge the existence of him ever really writing that letter he retracts all of that what he said in that he went from being on Mia's side and siding with Mia to completely not supporting Mia and her fight against Sunyi or her fight for Dylan and saying that that other stuff didn't happen, but Mia did abuse us. None of them support Dylan's sexual uh, assault or sexual abuse allegations in her story. And they don't support Mia or her story. They only tell the story of Mia being a woman who adopted a lot of foreign children and therefore then in turn abused them. Which, like I said, could be true, but they also discount their sister's experience as well. Are Soon Yi and Moses the only people of color that she adopted? No, all her children were of all her adopted children, except for Dylan, are of Asian descent. Okay, interesting. I know. So, so um, why do you think Moses turned? changed his tune in the documentary they uh what's the word allured allude alluded Alluded. that i was getting there they alluded it to possibly being a payout which could be true or they just really felt that between mia and woody mia was the worst person i i'm i could not tell you i think it's possible somebody could have paid him i could i could think still a kid or no yeah, was not so good? Let's see. Let's put this together since you're making me. Well, I need all the facts. So when Sunyi, no, he's he's not, he's not. How old is he? He roughly is 88. He's about roughly 13, 14. When I mean, that's this a child. happens. Yeah, when all this happens and blows up, he's like 14, maybe at the max. So yeah, he's still a kid. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote that letter when he was still a kid. Mm-hmm. And then he took it back when? When he was an adult. Around roughly what age? In his early to mid-20s. Okay, so I can see him writing that note as a child, and I can see him as an adult coming forward. Like I said, I think there's a small kernel to what they're saying. Yeah. I just don't like the fact that in them trying to tell their childhood about how they felt, they also can't acknowledge what Dylan is saying. Okay. Because the thing is, yes, Mia... Uh, is the reason why this got out because eventually she asked her daughter after seeing all these suspicious things. But Dylan has recounted the story countless times 
And even after all the court cases and stuff passed by in 2014, she wrote an open letter again about her experiences and and how she felt and what happened and the fact that all these celebrities were supporting her father slash abuser. So it's like if Dylan really wanted to drop this and she was really being coached and she really didn't have these memories, why would you bring it up again? Why I, can't she move on? I don't want to defend Woody therapy? Allen because if she was coached at such a young age, couldn't those be false memories? Yeah, but if she remembers them, how are they false? Because it's easy to put because memories Mia, in Mia, okay, Mia head. said what she saw that she thought was experience, uh, that was inappropriate. And Dylan has said what she thought happened that made her uncomfortable around Woody. Some of those intersect and some of those are completely different stories. Okay. Like I said, who knows? It just depends on how you feel. It's your opinion. So anyway, uh, so March 18th, 1993, uh, Woody Allen announces uh, that a team of medical experts have examined Dylan over the past seven months, and they did not find any signs of sexual molestation and that their report clears him of the charges. The, uh, the findings are not made public at all, though Pharaoh's lawyer, Mia's lawyer, says that they are inaccurate. Oh, now does, does the, the lawyers say that there was signs? The lawyer would know what the lawyer is saying is that this medical report came out, but they're saying it's inaccurate. They're saying it said what it said, that there was no findings, but they're saying that's wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? I do not. The medical report. Okay. The medical, the, okay. Let, okay. You have a, you had a team of medical experts who write the report saying we examined this child for over seven months. We have not found any signs of sexual molestation at all. Okay. Woody Allen takes that report and says, great. This chart, this clears me of all charges. uh, Mia and her lawyer look at this report and say, "Mm -mm, this ain't right. And it's never been published publicly. But what are they saying on the report is not right? They don't say. It just says that they said it was inaccurate. (laughs) Like I said, it was never made public. They're not going to tell us the details. I get not publishing the the record because it's a medical record, but Mm -hmm. they're not saying... They're not saying it does show. Are they saying the experts got it wrong? Are they saying Mia Farrell and her lawyer are saying that the medical experts got it wrong? They're saying the report that they wrote was inaccurate. See, that doesn't hold up to me. Woody Allen is taking the experts at their word. Yeah. It clears them. And they're experts. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, let me keep going, sir. I'm talking. <laughs> that's only my line so you can't use it uh, so um now we're in the custody trial the court case mia farrell testifies before the new york new york state supreme court in manhattan where alan has as we already talked about uh he's suing her to get full, sole custody of all three children mia says that dylan had told her the previous summer that 
Woody Allen had molested her. Mia says that Dylan wouldn't tell a doctor about the abuse. I'm guessing that's why she ended up going to the pediatrician. Um, Mia agrees with Allen that the medical experts who examined Dylan concluded that there were no signs of abuse. So that's once again her agreeing on what the report actually said, but she's not agreeing that that was right. right. Now, there's no physical signs of abuse, according to these experts. According to these experts. Now, Mia Farrell had videotaped Dylan's confession, but the, like I had talked about before, there are starts and stops. And because of those, Woody Allen says, basically, that doesn't, it may not be as valid as y'all think it is. It's not really concrete evidence. Now, the New York Times say that Allen said exactly that the allegations are products of either Miss Farrell's imagination or the child's behavior. While Mia Farrell is on the stand in the custody trial, she speaks about her persistent concerns regarding Allen even before the adoption. Now, I'm about to quote, there's a whole in exchange. This exchange is between Mia Farrell and the lawyer who is questioning her on the stand. Quote, there was some sexual thing, but sexual is not the name I used at the time. Inappropriate is the word I used. The lawyer says, what were these inappropriate slash sexual things? Mia says, first of all, there was the whole quality of it, the intensity, the wooing quality of it, the neediness. It was relentless and overpowering. The lawyer says, when had this kind of behavior taken place? And Mia says, all the time. The lawyer says hugging. Mia says yes. The lawyer says kissing. Mia says yes. In bed. He took her into his bed if she visited. They always ended up in bed with her, with him playing with her. The quality of the playing aroused her so that she would grab him. It happened three times. Now, I'm not 100% sure, but based on a previous story where Mia had talked about um, sitting there with uh, Woody and Dylan and like them playing around and um, Woody Allen smacks Dylan's hands all of a sudden. And Mia says, why'd you smack her hands? And Woody responds that she tried to grab his penis. I didn't know if maybe that's what Mia meant when she said the quality of playing aroused her so that she would grab him. It happened three times. And with that other thing, you said that they were total in bed in their mm-hmm. underwear. Mm-hmm. That's what Dylan said. Yeah, so that makes it seem that he would get an erection and she'd probably grab him. <sighs> Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're in May 4th, 1993. Dr. John Leventhal testifies in a sworn statement during the custody battle. And this is the lead doctor for the Yale Child Sexual Abuse Clinic. Dr. John. Um, the lead Dr. John Leventhal testifies in a sworn statement during the custody battle that Dylan's story had a rehearsed quality. Leventhal was part of the hospital team that was investigating all the allegations that came forth when Dylan said what happened. Uh, Dr. John goes on to say that we had two hypotheses. One, that these were statements that were made by an emotionally disturbed child and then became fixed in her mind. And the other hypothesis was that she was coached or influenced by her mother. We did not come to a firm conclusion. We think it was probably a combination. Now, of course, Woody Allen took this to mean, of course, I didn't do anything. Some other 
doctors criticized this statement because they were giving a ruling instead of reporting Dylan's behavior. Instead of saying how she reacted, what she did, how she told the story, um, her behavior before, after, and during certain things, they have just come up with a conclusion of what her, of, of, of if she's a liar or not. They've become the judge, jury, and executioner. I wouldn't say if she's a liar or not, but. That's basically what that statement says. It paints her as a liar. It doesn't say anything objective I, about the child. It's, I don't want to say as a liar. I think when it comes to children and you're talking about sexual abuse, it's more of if they've been led to say that or not. Led to lie? No. like <laughs> I, I don't think you're wording that right. I'm not, I'm wording it exactly how I feel he was doing it. The doctor? Yeah. He basically, instead of reporting their findings, he's reported what he thinks she's doing, which is he thinks that she's rehearsing it or that she's been fed these stories. Yeah. He came to a conclusion. Yes. I don't think that's exactly what they were asked to do. Okay. I mean, I could see that too. So, uh, yeah, so Dr. John says that we think there was a combination of both her either having these fixed memories in her mind that she starts to believe or that her mother has in some way, form or fashion, has influenced her to repeat these stories. And if she has the me- she has memories that she starts to believe, I mean, he's not really saying either or, is he? It could go either way. He's saying it's a combination of both things, but he's basically saying that she wasn't abused is what he is saying. Okay. Frank Macko, who is the state's attorney for the Litchfield district, which is where this investigation is based. He is the one who even suggested that the Yale uh, child sexual abuse clinic do the investigation. He suggested them because um, they were going to basically determine if, um, there were any obstacles or impediments to the child's ability to perceive, recall, and relate. Uh, Frank Macko is a part of the HBO documentary as well. He's quoted as saying that the, the examination that Yale did went on for seven months. He says then he receives a call from Yale saying that they made a decision and I am given the bottom line conclusion that the child is unreliable, untrustworthy, and or that Mia Farrell was a fabricator of this incident. That's his quote. It's then said that um, in the investigation, uh, looking back on protocol, that the Yale clinic uh, team kind of broke some of their conduct or how they do their practices in different ways. They say some of the ways that they kind of messed up or broke from protocol is that they interviewed Dylan a lot of times apparently more times than was suggested or even done in the past. Stephen P. Herman, who is a forensic scientist, forensic psychiatrist and expert witness for Mia Farrell said, I read the report and I was horrified. They interviewed this child nine times. Even in the early nineties, nobody interviewed a child of any age amidst the allegation of sexual abuse nine times. Um, also the Yale team, uh, ended up destroying all their documents that led to their conclusion. So that basically that statement that 
Dr. John Leventhal read out in court how they got to that conclusion, all the notes and stuff that they wrote. They destroyed them, threw them away, burned them, never to be found again. And that's not proper protocol. You're not supposed to do that. Um, Sunny Hostin, who is an attorney and uh, actually was on The View. I don't know if she's still on there. She's still on The View. I love Sunny. Okay. Sunny is quoted as saying, you don't interview you don't interview a child about the same allegation over and over and over again. You interview the child the least amount of times as possible so as not to re-traumatize the child. Which I have heard that. It's you get a good couple of accounts and you write out the details, but as you keep doing things, the child might think that they're saying or recounting something wrong. Uh-huh. And they they begin to change their story unknowingly thinking that that will make you happy that you're you're hearing what you want to hear yeah which is so unfortunate but that's that's how a child's mind works I mean, it really I, is unfortunate because you ask them and they're like they tell you the truth the first time and then you ask them again and again that they're gonna be like am i in trouble what do they want to hear why do they keep asking me so they're going to change their answer to mm-hmm. please you Maybe your tone, it could be your face, it could be anything that you don't know that the child is receiving not the right way. I mean, and just being in that situation of having to retell a story over and over to these people you really don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's scary enough that you just want to get it over with. Yeah. So, um, oh, she also says that no one should hold up that report and say that Woody Allen was exonerated. <laughs> if Sonny said it, I believe it. You silly, but Woody Allen gonna hold up that report. And um, I don't want it to seem like I know I'm kind of like on the defense on this one, but it's just I know with children it's so tricky mm-hmm. with what they're saying. Like if you think about like the sa- satanic panic, like all these kids were saying that these teachers said these horrible things and it was not true. And I'm just trying to get the all the facts. I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, I have my feelings about Woody Allen, but I couldn't be mad at somebody um, dissecting this more and finding fault with a lot of individuals, including Woody Allen, because this was like, this was not just a one man. Like if, if the allegations are true, a lot of people um, handle this wrong. This was completely mishandled. And if it isn't true, still was badly mishandled. Yeah, I think it was mishandled. And you have these two people, Mia and Woody, who make it so much messy. And the Mm -hmm. whole thing of Soon Yi makes it Mm -hmm. so much more messy because right there, it could show a pattern. He is abusing younger girls. But it also gives the narrative of a woman scorned. Exactly. And we've seen, unfortunately, some women use children as pawns. It's very rare. I don't want to be like, you know, this is always the case. We're just stating the facts. I mean, we they know that we are impartial and that we see facts. But, you know, we can see if somebody's being we're, we're just stating what our experience. I just know how I'm coming off. I'm coming off very defensive of what you are a disgusting ass human. (laughs) I don't want that to be the case because I'm, I haven't come to a conclusion yet. Okay. So anyway, uh, just to wrap this up towards the end, uh, some more things that made the court case seem kind of people shortchanging, shortchanging the investigation was that there was this caseworker 
named Paul Williams in Connecticut, which, as we know, Connecticut is where the alleged crime took place because Mia Farrell's home is in Connecticut. But uh, this caseworker, Paul Williams, was working on um, Dylan Farrell's case, and he had just been named caseworker of the year in the city. So as uh, Paul Williams is working this Dylan Farrell case and all this, Williams says, hey, I think there's enough evidence that we could probably file some charges, some criminal charges against Woody Allen. Literally, after basically writing and saying that on the report, Paul Williams is fired. Oh. Now, granted, with some time and some uh, people to back him up, he does end up getting reinstated, but he's not on that Dylan case anymore. But Why was he fired, though? They, who knows? Who knows? So are you saying that Woody has his fingers behind all these experts? It was alluded, and I'd be hard-pressed to not believe it. Woody was recording Mia Farrow's conversations to the point where Mia Farrow was telling her friends, and they were like, well, bitch, you need to record them, too. Why, um, why was he recording her? Exactly. When was he recording her? After um, the Sunyi uh-huh. and Dylan blow up all happened. Every conversation they had was recorded from both ends. It was crazy. Damn. So it's like I said, conspiracy and theories can, can run wild because some of this is just never going to be found out and proven. But anyway, June 8th, 1993, uh, the custody trial is officially over. The judge awards custody of Moses Dillon and Ronan, Ronan to Mia Farrow. Okay. Uh, Woody Allen is denied visiting rights to Dylan completely. Um, the judge basically condemns Woody and says, like, we didn't find any evidence of Mia coaching the children. And just based off how you've handled yourself in your personal life and what's been described as your relationship with Dylan, I don't think you should have any rights to her, basically. So that's that's where that ends. Okay. Now, September 25th, 1993, Frank Macko, who was the state attorney working this case, he has a whole press conference and he says basically the same thing Paul Williams says, but publicly that he has probable cause to charge Woody Allen with the sexual abuse slash molestation of Dylan. But he is not going to go through with it because of the potential trauma that it could cause to Dylan. Um, At this point, I think Dylan says in the documentary that she was just worn out. She didn't, people were saying that she was a liar. She had to keep telling the story. She had to keep living through it. And eventually she just was done with it. And Frank Macko and Mia supported that. And so they didn't go forth with charging Woody because Macko basically said, to make the case, he would have to put Dylan on the stand. And Dylan, they said Dylan was no, she was not in the state to be, to testify. Yeah. And I mean, they were, they would just be horrible for her on that stand, the cross-examination. Mm-hmm. And think if it all happens for nothing. Yeah. So I, I like, that's a debatable subject too, but you want to save the child, even though you do 
if there's probable cause, you want to see it through. But I and you I want justice so he doesn't do it to other children. Exactly. So it's tough when you see both sides on something like that. So anyway, the following. When did I say that happened? That September nineteen ninety three. Yeah, that was September 9th. Okay. So the next year, uh, some people didn't think that Mako handled that case right. Um, even Woody Allen filed like like a suit or something about Mako and his handling of the case. But it gets, it gets dismissed because he, he don't have any fucking proof that Mako was doing anything inappropriate in the case. I mean, if anything, we should be looking at you, Mr. Allen. Like, what did he sue him for? Like malicious prosecution? I think something of that, but not that, like just uh, filed a motion against him. Like he was unprofessional or something like that. You know, it it didn't say execs. It probably said in the documentary, but I didn't catch it. Okay. It just said that uh, he filed a complaint against Matco and it ends up getting dismissed. Okay. Now here's the funny part, but uh, I saw some quotes. This is kind of where we're ending in the story anyway, because Sunyi and, Woody are married and they have two adopted daughters and they live in their oh, big no. ass story town Manhattan. No, <laughs> that's are not you? funny. But why'd you? Because yeah. I felt like the Mia Farrow, the documentary, the first episode, like they kept harping on that. I want a little blonde girl. I want a little blonde girl. Like because apparently to... that's what he said. It's, yeah, it's a little blonde girl, and then he's accused of molesting her. So I like. And if, if then you look at the. I might go say that, but yeah. Yeah, so like then that would be a pattern. Yeah, I think he knows that his pattern is very, very visible. So he wasn't going to adopt any more blonde children. I mean, adopting any children. I don't think he should adopt any children as well. I thought that was crazy when I. I'm honestly surprised that passed. You know, that only passed because he's famous and has money. Oh my gosh! Because I would be looking at your history. Yeah, like you lost visitation custody rights for three of your legal children because of molestation claims. Mm-hmm. And then you got with your teenage stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, later I was finding some articles from like Woody Allen and I guess people who kind of support him or, you know, talk uh, in defense of him. That's the word. Okay. Um, in defense had- of Woody. Yes. A woman named Dr. Susan Coates, who's a child psychologist, you know, she says uh, she supposedly treated Ronan and evaluated Dylan. I don't know when it didn't even say when she did it, but she describes the relationship that Woody Allen and Dylan had as, quote, inappropriately intense, but did not say it was romantic in any way. She just says, I did not see it as sexual, but I saw it as inappropriately intense because it excluded everyone else. Um, basically saying that he was only emotionally involved with Dylan and not any of Mia's other children. So it was intense in that way and inappropriate, but not sexual. But I mean, that sounds weird to me. Sounds very and, weird. And how can you, if you're, if you're somebody who only interviewed Ronan and evaluated Dylan, how can you speak on Woody and Dylan's relationship like yeah. that? How can you say it's inappropriately intense if we're talking about what Dylan has said before? That doesn't sound right. Yeah. 
Um, and then there's also something that caught me by surprise. Uh, Alan, Woody Allen's therapist of apparently 20 something years also was in an article. Her name is Dr. Catherine Prescott, and she testified there has never been any suggestion that Mr. Allen was suffering from a sexual perversion slash deviant sexual behavior. What I say to that is if he don't bring up any urges or anything going on with Dylan and y'all's therapy sessions, how would you know? I mean, we don't know what you talk about in therapy, so we don't know how far you've dived in just because y'all been there for 20 years. I don't know. I feel like people can mask themselves. Yeah, I guess you would assume that would come up in therapy, but not really, because I feel like he would know that she would report that. Because you're supposed to. Yeah. So I don't know. So, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there. But, you know, like I said, uh, 1997, December 22nd, Soon Yi and Woody Mary. Um, like I said, this all started to come back up into focus 2014 because uh, the Golden Globes, January 2014, they ended up awarding Woody Allen with the Cecil D. DeMille um, Lifetime Achievement Award. Woody Allen was smart enough to not show his ass up, but um, his bestie, Diane Keaton, accepted the award on his behalf. Oof. And when that happened, of course, you got all the celebrities in person, you know, clapping and giving him his praises and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, social media was coming down on, you know, Hollywood honoring this man again based off his past and his allegations and his alleged creep behavior. Uh, Ronan even tweeted out, he said, miss the Woody Allen tribute. Did they put the part where the where a woman publicly confirmed he molested her at age seven before or after Annie Hall? And that's his bio son? Do they, that's his bio son. Do they have any relationship? No. Woody Allen says he hasn't talked to any of his other, well, Dylan and Ronan specifically in 20-something years. I think Moses is the only one he still has contact with. And so me. I wouldn't go say it. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the people who defend him and have quotes is Diane Keaton. Woody Allen is my friend and I continue to believe him. Luis Lasser in the 90s when the molestation allegations came out, she says, when you fall in love with somebody and marry them, are you all of a sudden going to stop loving them? Something went awry or you wouldn't be apart, but you still care about them and always will. Who knows if anybody's right, but when you're close to someone, you'll stand by them through thick and thin. And I stand by Woody Allen. Okay. Scarlett Johansson in August 2019 she says, how do I feel about Woody Allen? I love Woody. I believe him and I would work with him anytime. Oh, Scar Joe, that's just disappointing. What's disappointing most about that Scarlett Johansson quote is that that's her second quote. Her first quote is about the fact that in 2014, Dylan Farrell Dylan wrote uh, that open letter about her experience with abuse and all the celebrities supporting uh, Woody Allen, including Scar, Scar Joe. And when she was first uh, asked to give a comment about that story, she says she thought it was irresponsible to take a bunch of actors that will have a Google alert on and to suddenly throw their name into a situation that none of us could possibly knowingly comment on. That just feels irresponsible to me. 
But five years later, she loves Woody, believes him, and would work with him anytime. Wait, now, why did it feel irresponsible? Because she put actors' names in there? Basically. She's basically saying, shame on Dylan for talking about your personal experience, but condemn, but uh, condemning us actors for working with them w- with him when we don't even know about that. But then, yeah, she said she would continue working with him. Okay. Uh, Kate Winslet was one who stayed <gasps> strong, and then she retracted. So let's go through hers. They would. Uh, Kate worked with uh, Woody Allen in 2017. The film was called Wonder Wheel. Um, the New York Times asked her uh, if Allen's past behavior impacted her decision to accept it. And she says, I didn't know Woody and I don't know anything about that family. As the actor in the film, you just have to step away and say, I don't know anything really. And whether it's true or false, having thought of it all you put it to one side and just work with the person and describe the experience working with Alan as extraordinary. But in September, 2020, when asked about it, she retracted her statements in Vanity Fair saying, (laughs) I'm sorry, it's kind of funny. It's like, what the fuck was I doing working with Woody Allen and Roman Polanski? (laughs) She said that? Yeah. it's That's, That's a direct quote. Yeah, it says, it's like, what the fuck was I doing working with Woody Allen and Ron Polanski? <laughs> it's unbelievable to me now how those men were held in such high regard so widely in the film industry and for as long as they were. It's fucking disgraceful. I think. Hold on. Thing. Kate's still talking. <laughs> and I have to take responsibility for the fact that I worked with them both. I can't turn back the clock. I'm grappling with those regrets. But what do we have if we aren't able to just fucking be truthful about all of it? Okay. Am I allowed to speak now? Play. Okay. I think though it's a society thing where before it was you would just deal with it. You knew these perverts were in Hollywood. You knew Harvey Weinstein. You knew all of them were there. Hollywood actors didn't care until Me Too. It's shut the shit down. I don't even want to say they don't care. It's something they had to put up with. Some of these actors are giving that's your life and we're on set. That's what it's it's Yeah, they're saying I'm here to do a job. I did my job. Yeah, but depending on they don't care is what I'm saying. Nobody cared to give a firm, definitive statement on Harvey Weinstein, Woody Allen, Roman Plast, Plansky, whatever that nigga name is, nasty ass man. No one gave these hard hitting statements against them un, uh, other than their accusers. And then when Me Too happened and Ronan Farrow brought Harvey Weinstein down and all, and then Woody out and all these other people who are like retroactively being brought down. Then everybody wants to either give their firm statements, but before, before it was just like, I don't care. That's not my business. Uh, he I think makes before great though, and he can make me money. That's before what it was though, about. you have to take into consideration. If you spoke out, you were out, you were out of work. You were out of Hollywood. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. We could say that all day. It's the bystander effect. Effect. If you see somebody 
getting killed. If you speak up or draw, uh, get some alert, like a police or some help, you could be killed too. Yeah. Or you could also just be somebody who watched somebody get killed and also be an accessory. I think at that time though, people knew that they would be out. It wasn't. But these, some of these people I'm talking about are not like down on their luck stars. They would still be out. I think that's the. Would they? Would Scarlett Johansson be out if she, I don't know. You're right. Those those are two. That's the power of. Yeah. That's the power that these directors and these writers had that they tell a big studio don't work with that actress. Well, then at the end end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just then what do you want your legacy to look like? Do you want to be the successful quiet one or you want to be somebody who spoke up and stood up for something? Yeah. I. You're you still going to... to be your decisions at the end of the day. Even if they might've had consequences, you still will be judged for how you acted or what you said. You would want to stand up, but not everybody got stable legs. No, and they fear of being out of work. And so I'm not going to really not Kate on it. I mean, she retracted it. What about Scarlett Johansson? She didn't retract shit. Oh. That was Kate Winslet. We love Kate Winslet in this house. That's, yeah, we already moved past Scarlett Johansson. We're on Kate Winslet now. No, but what about Scarlett Johansson? I said I was disappointed. That's all how you feel about it? Yeah, what else do you want me to say? <laughs> Tell me what you want me to say and I'll say it. Say you love me. <laughs> yeah so that's kind of where we end there's people who said that they they regret working with them Greta Gerdwig and Timothy Lee Cabellet. even though they said uh that Tim how do you pronounce that man's name Timothy I don't know what you're trying to say Chamolet oh yeah I don't know that pretty faced pale-faced, porcelain doll-faced white man actor. And he got an apostrophe. It's not an apostrophe. It's, it's got a fancy name. but Okay, what did he say? Um, he basically worked with Woody Allen, right? Uh-huh. And then all this stuff retroactively came out. Like, you, he worked with Woody Allen on this film, and everybody's like, well, did you know that Woody Allen was accused of molesting his, his daughter, and he did all this and that? And Timothy was like, oh, yeah. Basically, he condemned Woody Allen and said he was going to donate his um the his paycheck for the movie to charity and Woody Allen comes out later in his book and says that um that actor told his sister in advance that he was going to have to shun Woody Allen because he was possibly up for an Oscar nominee and he thought if he shunned Woody Allen that would be his uh ticket to get it well, yeah, I think on that one, Woody's probably telling the truth because he worked with him to begin with. So he got his clout. He got his, his, what did We can't like, remember words. <laughs> I, yeah, he used him for, to be in his movie. And then he's like, oh, but I didn't mean it. I, you didn't. I'm going to give this money away, but you were still in a movie. Mm-hmm. You still got that role. Mm-hmm. I feel you. And sometimes that is better than paycheck for an actor. Yeah. So Woody's legacy lays where it is. He came out with his autobiography. Um, it got canceled uh, 
I, one publisher once public outcry got out um, and then another publisher picked him up. Um, he's still doing films. Um, he's still being old as fuck, married to Soon Yi. So even though Woody Allen acknowledges that everybody might think of him being a predator for the rest of his life, he still gets to leave a very fruitful and successful rich one. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think his when he it's does very die, flawed. this whole thing is very fucked up. When he does die, be- his reputation is already going to be tarnished because soon he it will be Woody Allen who married his adopted daughter. Which I mean, that's always how they phrase it, even if technically she was not his adoptive daughter, Sunyi. And bet- right there is enough to quote unquote cancel him or not support him or whatever, because right there it shows already a pattern of disgustingness and grooming the whole Mm -hmm. thing with dylan is is messy it's nasty it's i i believe there was some inappropriateness there i don't know if it went all the way to intercourse Mm -hmm. or penetration i should say the better word Mm -hmm. and that's probably why there was no medical what is it called during the medical examination Mm -hmm. but i think there was inappropriateness there in some way or form. I agree. I agree. Um, Yeah. Uh, I think, first of all, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get this Woody Allen episode out. Um, I don't think Woody Allen is long for this world. I bet you in the next couple of years, Woody Allen's dead. I think he's be dead by the end of this year. Um, That was the first reason, number one. And then number two, I think when he does die, it's going to be very split coverage. You're going to have a lot of people, probably even most, of course, that are going to be like, yes, he was a creep and he did this. How can y'all celebrate his life and all this knowing he did that? And then you're going to have a smaller but still very strong group of people who are going to be like, but we're honoring his art and he was still a great filmmaker. And, you know, anything to pass off responsibility, accountability. He made what's up, pussycat. Well, <laughs> that was Tom Jones who really brought it to life. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it could be split. Um, I think it'll be questionable. Mia Farrow, based on how she went about things, her legacy is in question too because she's not uh, she's not the the villain. She didn't do what allegedly happened to Dylan. No. But she is guilty of not stepping up or speaking up as fast as she should have and could have. And that will always remain to be seen as if she did, would this have turned out different? And that could be a burden she carries on her own. And, you know, she's like all she does is uh, do charity work now. So maybe that is guilt. on her. Yeah. Looking in hindsight, she could have been like, how could I not have known? But then when you're actually living it, she's thinking, no, that's not happening. It's not possible. Yeah. I, it, it's so I'm not going to fault her for that. It's a convoluted case with a lot of flaws. Uh, but overall, you know, I'm happy that, you know, Dylan and with the assistance of Ronan, her brother, have has at least been able to tell the story that she knows and experiences. Yeah. And and Woody with his 
his reach and his money has been able to overwhelmingly tell his story. Did it, Moses? It just just lies in the middle of what do you think? Did it, Moses, change his last name to Alan? Uh, I do think he did do that. Like, he separated from Mia and her family completely. And didn't, isn't he like a child psychologist? He is a child psychologist. Bizarre. I forgot to mention that. You're right. Yeah. I thought that was so, it's like, that's why I, I, I can't discount Moses completely, but I also can't discount Dylan. I think that Moses and Sunyi, what they're saying is definitely possible, but I definitely think that they are not seeing the full picture either. I think they're only seeing Mia as the villain. But anyway, we've already talked about that. Um, uh, let's 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 move on to something lighter, brighter from this three-hour episode. And yeah, let's... so morose. <laughs> Such a morose episode. Anyway, let's uh, brighten this up with a piece of media. We like to end our episodes with a uh, piece of media related to us that makes us feel good, makes us think of something, or is just our new hot thing for the week. So would you like to go first? I can. Uh, it's such a stretch for you. Um, I don't really have a happy media. <laughs> I, um, I said we are, we like to brighten each other. Well, I don't. All this talk about family estrangement, it just got me thinking about family estrangement. Okay, um, come on. Talk about it. They're highs. <laughs> so I do have a sister that I've been estranged from for years now. And <gasps> I'm... I'm not really going to get into it. We don't get along. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but when I do think about her, I think of a song, Turpentine by Brandy Carlisle. And in the song, it just talks about, you know, we. I watched you grow away from me in photographs and wishing I was 10 again so I could be your friend again. And I, I that line always gets me because it's like, I do sometimes wish we were 10 again so we could be friends and it would be simpler. But, you know, the carousel never stops turning and you're an adult. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you just don't have that relationship with your family. Definitely understand. Not completely, but a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a situation that's really weird and it's nowhere near the level of this story. It's just... Had me think about it when, you know, you say Sunni and her mom don't talk. And my sister doesn't really talk to a lot of people in our family and we don't talk to her. And it, it, I just think of that song all the time. And not that song, but there is another song, which I don't think about my sister, but it's also about a sibling, which, you know, people don't really make sibling songs a lot, which <laughs> I think is weird. Um. So Turpentine, I believe that is about a sibling. Like that's what the song is about. Turpentine all the <laughs> no, time when you're no, turpin. And you know, Brandy Carlisle, she's the one who made the story song. You see the sound. Oh, don't <laughs> even get me started on that. I think story. it's from the same album, Turpentine, but another song that is about a sibling is the song. I don't even think it has a name because it was a hidden track on Joss Stone's album, and I believe it's Daniel's song. Don't even. Yeah, that is a great song, and that's about a sibling. You got me hip to that song in college, and I was like, 
I don't even have a bad relationship with my brother, <laughs> but this is so touching. Yeah, I, I I try to look for it on Spotify and it's not on there. I think I it's can on, on YouTube. get it on YouTube. That's the only time you can find it is on YouTube. I've looked Spotify, Apple Music. It's not on that. Because, yeah, on the CD, it is a hidden track where, you know, after the last song that's on there, it plays that song. I got to find what album that is. You got to figure out what album that is. I, um, it's that one album that she's has hair. Oh yeah. That <laughs> one. I know what you're talking about. It's like real long. She's kind of naked, but not really. Yeah. Um, let me look mind, body and soul. It's like her main album. Okay. Yeah. I know exactly what she's talking about. Okay. I'm gonna look at that one. All right. Anything else to add to your media, sir? Nope. That was just what was on my mind. Sorry. It wasn't, uh, a light one. Yeah, it's quite heavy, heavy. Quite morose. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> okay, so mine is, I mean, I'm just going to be honoring a person. It's going to be music, of course, because that's all I've been doing is listening to music. More music, old music, 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 music. But it's going to be Khalees. Um, I can't say I'm a big Khalees fan as far as like her solo music because I actually haven't delved into it which I probably need to because I heard she's a great artist but I was going through my old Spotify account to add to my Apple Music because I abandoned Spotify I, I, I got tired of that um but Khalees is featured on like three of like these first of all all three are different songs but they're just all creative in that they're, they're I love them uh the first one is uh Got Your Money by ODB. Uh, a lot of people know that one off the top. Hey, Dirt A, baby, I got your money. Don't you worry. I said, hey. Uh, it's a common one. Um, I love that song. She's the best part of that, and she's only on the hook. Yeah, I did not know that was her. Yeah. Um, the second one are both uh, Khalees and Andre 3000 collaborations. The first one is called Millionaire. I used to hear this song every day working at the bookstore. And when at the bookstore I worked for, it wasn't a radio. It was like one of those radios that used to be in a school bus that played kids bop shit. So it was usually bad music, but every once in a while you had a good song. And Millionaire by Andre 3000 and Khalees was a great one. It's like a, I don't know, a poppy hit? I don't know. And then the other one is their most creative one, but uh, it's hilarious to me. And that's uh, Dracula's Wedding, where it's basically Andre 3000 is pretending to be um, a vampire. And uh, Khalees is his, his bride. If, if you have to listen to any of the three, listen to Dracula's Wedding. It starts off weird, but at the end... You got to feel some sort of way. I just have to know if you liked it. If you hated it, that's fine, too. But you have to listen to the whole thing. It's very creative. Uh, it's one of my favorite unexpected songs that I always replay. But, yeah. Andre 3000, Pretend to Be a Vampire. What, what more could you want? <laughs> Is that it? Okay, we're done this episode <laughs> right now. <laughs> I was trying to think of something to say, but I had nothing else. Okay, we're going to end this episode right now. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, look for us on Hits Don't Lie and reach out to us. Thanks. Bye. In the HBO documentary, document, is that how you say a documentary?
documentary. I used documentary to is how I pronounce it. What do I usually say it? Documentary. Documentary. I'm not saying it the way I want to say Document- documentary. 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 I'm gonna just say documentary. Okay. Documentary. Don't fuck me up like this. Okay, so around 1983 to 1984, at least a few years in the relationship, um, according to Mia in the HBO documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fucking hate you. Of course, (laughs) shit. 